0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Ashley
1: Good morning, Will. How are you? I'm really good. We're back from Israel.
0: I know. It feels like a long time since we've done this. Not not to our listeners because they've been listening every week, but it's been like a couple of months since the last time we actually recorded something.
1: It does feel like that. We did well, we recorded the Holy Land episode right before we left, but that I mean it's been like 3 weeks.
0: It feels like longer. So actually, today's interview is with Reverend Patrick Friday, who is the pastor at, I think I said the name of his church wrong when I introduced him in the actual interview. Um, It's the church at Cahaba Bend, which is a United Methodist church, but um, I think I may have called it like first Methodist Cahaba Bend or something like that. It's the church Mm -hmm. at Cahaba Bend. And I've known Patrick for a few years now, and it was just really cool because of his experiences in the mission. field. He's done it all. He's been a missionary in the field. He's been a pastor of a local church. He's been uh, involved in leadership at a sending agency that sends and prepares missionaries, you know, for the field. So um, I mean, really kind of, we touched on a whole lot of stuff, but one of the coolest things we touched on is a sort of, personal connection that you and your church have to Patrick.
1: Well, it was so cool to meet somebody that I've never met before, but we had uh, we knew the same people and we had been to the same places, and so we were naturally connected because of this wonderful global mission body that we have fallen into relationship with. So uh, it was great to talk with him about Yekaterinburg and the how he was in the beginning, how he was on all of these trips in the beginning to help that partnership get started. And then how 20 years later, here I am um, bringing up the rear and continuing that uh, relationship into the future. So it was great to make that connection. I love making connections.
0: So there were people from the Louisiana conference who together with people from the Alabama conference or which I'm not sure if that's a divided conference or not, but anyway, the conference that Patrick was from who together started developing this relationship in Russia.
1: Correct. Yeah. When the iron curtain fell, uh, Dwight Ramsey and several others were among the first over to, uh, to find these Methodists. They got off at the wrong train stop and ended up meeting Methodists. And that's how it all began.
0: That's awesome. Well wow, and how cool is that, the 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 sort of the spider web of connections uh, for you guys. I'm kinda glad that we realized it while we were recording and that, that you guys didn't already know that ahead of time.
1: Uh, so it was it was authent authentic surprise and excitement.
0: Very cool. Well, um, let's let people hear from Patrick. What do you think?
1: Sounds great. Here's Patrick.
0: Uh, Ashley, I want you to meet my friend Patrick, Patrick Friday, who is currently the pastor at uh, Cahaba Bend United Methodist Church outside of Birmingham, Alabama. And is it Helena or Helena? I never say it right. Which one is it, Patrick? Helena. Helena. See, even when I think I'm getting Mm -hmm. two possible options, one of them is Helena.
2: Mobile. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If if you guys in Alabama could just name your cities in ways that would be easier for everybody else to <laughs> say them, that would be a big help.
1: Um, and That'd be great.
0: Patrick, this is my friend, Ashley. Ashley Goad is the missions pastor uh, at First Methodist Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. And Ashley and I have known each other for a very long time and have lot, have had lots of really we think, good conversations about (laughs) missions. And so we just decided maybe, maybe we could share those conversations with other people and include people who have lots of experience in missions as well. So we started the Broken Banquet last year and have been fortunate to be able to reach out to a lot of the contacts that both of us have all over the world and have these conversations together. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation, particularly because we've talked to people already who have sort of experience, maybe in one particular area, you have experience like in all the areas, you've been a local church pastor, you've been a missionary, you've worked for a a, sort of ascending agency. I mean, you, you kind of, you've, ticked all the boxes. So we're just going to sit back and let you talk for the next hour Um, (laughs) and and enlighten us and our listeners. Uh, We've named this, this podcast, the broken banquet, because we believe that there is a heavenly banquet that we have all been invited to that is perfect and is holy, but it has been corrupted by you know, us in the world and, and it is broken right now. Mm -hmm. And what are the things that hopefully we can do through healthy mission relationships that then extend, you know, to all areas of ministry that can help heal what is broken about that table. And so uh, we've talked a lot about um, the relationships between local churches and the missionaries that they're, connected to. We've talked a lot about the relationships between those missionaries and the communities where they're serving and what it means for them to sort of be a bridge between the local church and those communities and, right. and lots of other stuff. So we're just excited to pick your brain a little bit today and, and let you share your perspective based on your experiences in the field and as a pastor and all of that kind of stuff. So welcome to the Broken Banquet.
2: Oh, thank you. This is a real treat. And I just want to say, uh, even though I haven't had a chance to take a deep dive into the podcast you've made so far, I'm so grateful that you're lifting up this conversation. You've already touched on key issues in terms of how groups and partners relate to missionaries and how missionaries relate to their context and and bringing all that together, uh, which on the surface it seems like it should just all fall into place but but sometimes you know there's there's miscommunication maybe an abundance of miscommunication and it's not uh, because anybody intends for it to be so it's with the best of intentions and yet uh, you know if you if you look at mission in terms of a short short-term experience there's not a lot of time to get up to mm-hmm. speed if you're just getting off the plane, here I am, and you haven't had conversations, you haven't listened into podcasts like this, and just really started to um, help frame things uh, before you get there. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm very grateful to be a part of this today. Thank you.
1: Well, Patrick, I am too, because I haven't met you at all. This is our first interaction to actually say hello. So, hello.
2: <laughs> hello.
1: <laughs> and, I wish I had known that we were going to be interviewing you when I was in Birmingham, because I drove by your church like five times and I would have stopped in just to say hello.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well,
1: next time. So sounds next like time.
2: You, you do come next by time. frequently. So do, do come by. Love to, I will love to see you in person.
1: We'll That'd do. We'll do. I would love to know just who you are a little bit back, about your background. Um, just tell us the the good stuff in the past. Who are you, Patrick? Who
2: am I? Well, um, God keeps working on me. That's my <laughs> open prayer, and, and that's what I feel every day. And in terms of uh, mission, it's always been part of my journey. Even when I think back on my own family and my, my father was a pastor. And so um, he he went to um, Cuba and to Panama. These are short-term ex- kind of evangelism events. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I look back on it, I just remember him telling me little bits and pieces about that. So I knew that, you know, that was a good thing to go out, get beyond your world, get beyond your bubble, get beyond your comfort zone. and uh, And then also... Back to my family, there were always um, people from different cultures in in our journey. And uh, so that was that was just comfortable. And then as God started working on me at church camp, Camp Samatonga here in North Alabama, missionaries would come in and say, you know, you are the only hands and feet of Christ. Mm-hmm. You're the ones. Mm-hmm. And you need to go. Are you ready? So even when I was in junior high, you know, going to those camps, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. God's calling me. I feel it. But what, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How does, how does that work? Where do you start? Even though when you feel the spirit moving, where, where do you start? And so we're very fortunate here again, in sort of my formation spiritually. Um, and even in terms of my calling and, and career profession, those type things, all of it kind of merged together because as I'm going through, uh, high school and college, I'm still connected, uh, of course, to our church, United Methodist Church, and I went to United Methodist College, Birmingham Southern College. Anyway, all those things uh, were linked in terms of opportunities to serve and Mm -hmm. to go to different countries. So um, I was really excited that uh, when I was in uh, high school, uh, we have kind of a Mother Teresa figure here in North Alabama uh, named Nina Reeves. She's been the youth leader for... Fifty years. Uh, she's now mm. in her nineties. She's amazing. In fact, she related to some people in Louisiana. I want to oh. say uh, David Stone was his name. Um, oh no, Shreveport. kidding! He
1: yeah. was he was at our church uh, as a youth pastor. I was, his daughter. I was, um, uh, there we go. Uh, his daughter still comes here. Um, I, yep, she was just here on Sunday, and I think oh, I met David. He came with her uh, on Christmas Eve, and I met him for the first time.
2: Beautiful. Well, there you go. In the Methodist world, it did as a small world, right? So
1: here we are.
2: Um, So David Stone was working in the Soviet Union and had taken a youth group over there. I'm going to say 87, maybe 86. Am I right?
1: Was he with Dwight Ramsey?
2: Yes. Dwight Ramsey. Yes. All that was coming together.
1: Oh go. my goodness, Patrick, we have yeah. a story for you. Keep going.
0: Okay, well, let me just well, stop you guys. I've got yeah. some errands that I need to go run, so you two can <laughs> just you keep up, um, figure out all the people, all the friends you have in common. I'm sure it's going to be a great episode, and um, I look forward to hearing
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, that's... Uh, that, go ahead.
1: Will, this is going to end up with Olga and Eager. So hold on just a second. Oh my gosh. Keep going, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, can,
2: I can see that. So so there you go. You've got youth ministry exposing youth to the world, right? Mm-hmm. Your church, my experience, coming together, our conferences, et cetera. And so um, I just remember that I went to the Soviet Union with the youth group there in North Alabama.
1: You were on that trip with Ross Barrett and Corbin Barnes, and they're two members of our church, and they would have been youth. Wow. Well, yeah. interesting. Okay. It, it,
2: the, the overlap, thank you for lifting that up, the, the overlap was there between our conferences and mm-hmm. youth programs. Nina Reeves knew David Stone and vice versa.
1: Oh, my And goodness. that
2: led us to having a peace camp here, bringing in young people from all over, Eastern Europe, Soviet Union, uh, and I love that. That's what the connections all about. Oh my goodness, I just love that. So, so uh, for okay, me, well, it was so natural. Yes.
1: Can I? I want to tell you the the connection that has come now to me. So that was from '87 mm-hmm. when I got here in when I got to Shreveport in 2013.
2: Mm-hmm. One
1: of my the members of my church said, "I need you to meet a guy named James Gillespie," and I was like, "Oh." Okay. And he goes to Broadmoor United Methodist, which is Mm -hmm. in my neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. and he, he, the, the person at my church said, you need to meet James because he goes to Russia every year. And our church has not had a good presence with our church in Ekaterinburg, Russia, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, a really long time. And right. it's, it's the David Stone years. And I was oh, like, yep.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Okay, yeah. great. So, yeah. um, so I took that trip and I've gone now, I think, uh, I think I've gone back about 10 to 12 times. And, wow. um, so we consider it our, our sister church, and uh, Olga and Eger, who will has met from that church mm-hmm. are the missionaries that, uh, that my church is in active partnership with. Wow. So wow. Um, so oh, will'll we'll see them in, in Israel in just a couple of weeks uh, when we're all reunited together. Oh, it's Lord. a small world after all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this kind of dates us too, you know. That's uh, that's I don't, st- st-
1: don't talk right. about that, <laughs> but uh,
2: but I remember I'm gonna zoom in on a moment in time that that goes with me. Awesome. I'm in Moscow 91, uh, snow, you know, way up here somewhere over my head, and um. And we're at Ostankino, that's the the big TV station for Russia at the time. It was like they had two or three stations for the whole population, you know, hundreds of millions of people. So, and we're at Ostankino, it's a huge complex. And uh, and we're going to have, I believe it was Easter service or Palm Sunday, I believe it was Easter service anyway, with, with your church, I believe. Um, Anyway, they had the satellite. This was back in the satellite trucks and all that stuff. You know, it was very elaborate to pull this off. So they had this enormous antenna. It went way, you could see it from all over the city. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I was thinking, well, here we are in a, in a country that officially was atheist. Obviously, we know there were many, many believers in the Orthodox Church, but officially atheist. It has just recently collapsed. And our church has this opportunity to to use you know the the TV, the TV studio um, and collaborate. I think you all on the ground, whatever team you had going on, was amazing. This live service, and there we were. And 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 you could, I I wasn't, I didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't a part of organizing this at all. I was just there. I was just I was just in awe of the moment. And, what, yeah. and Lydia Stomino was up there leading, and and yes, and, uh, Bishop Meener, I believe, was there, and those type things. And 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 um, frankly, I was visiting Moscow. I was doing a lot of work in Eastern Europe and in the Baltics, as in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And so I was just blown away by that connection. The world got really small uh, mm-hmm. as we had this live interaction. And so whenever uh, in my journey, and I'll touch a little bit more on it as we go along, Uh, I've always thought back on that. Well, if that's possible, if God can do that, which was impossible, you know, God can do that for all of our partnerships. We can find a way to connect. And so much later on, 10, 20 years later on, I'm at the General Board of Globe Ministries, and I found that I became sort of a a lead advocate on, look, let's use the Internet, let's use... um, it was called Uvu at the time, this kind of chat thing where we can see each other and do, you know, communion together. Let's have communion with our brothers and sisters live and that kind of thing. And, and so technology was getting cheaper and it didn't cost, you know, whatever. And, and, and it was available in even some remote places. So, um, so I was always enthralled by that possibility. That, uh, that technology could help us to close the gap and to start having conversations before we actually saw each other uh, in person, if you will, or in the flesh, you know, it was just... Uh, mm-hmm. So I wanna thank you, your church, the witness of your <laughs> church, how it impacted me as a, as a youth and then later on in my journey uh, because you all stepped out in faith in such a bold, brash way And it, it touched the world.
1: Wow. Wow. Okay. I want to just take a pause and go look at a photo that's sitting outside my office that Mm -hmm. the whole team from that 87 year signed. And I want to go see if your name is on it.
2: (laughs) All right. Now, now let me, let me, let me, let me pause there because I'm going to say, I went to the Soviet Union in 1990. So okay. it's not going to be there, okay. but, okay. but the, the reason, uh, I went with my conference, North Alabama right. and so forth was based on what you all had done a few years earlier.
1: Right on. Okay. I got and you.
2: then, then the, then the, the merging of the two really came together with okay. Peace Camp and, and, uh, and again, back to David Stone and Nina Reeves, they were just these amazing youth leaders, you know, in our, in our country. Mm-hmm. And they were way up there at the top level, engaging and and collaborating, and uh, and and we all benefited. So, wow. Um, but um, so anyway, as as that was going on, um, I was coming out of college, and um, I felt God calling me to the mission field, and um, I I wasn't. Being a pastor and those type things, being brought up as a preacher's kid, I wasn't ready for that. I hadn't heard God's clear, uh, small voice uh, saying that, whispering in my ear. The mission, yes, but the pastor side of it, not as much. And so I had to live into that. And then I ended up um, going over to Estonia, where the uh, persecuted Christians were as was the case in the Soviet Union. And in that case, in Estonia, they had a Methodist uh, foundation. That's They were Methodist, And they um, uh, they'd been around. They were kind of this remnant uh, of the Methodist church. And um, so there I was. We, we had, uh, in 1990, our youth group had gone through there. I'd made some connections. So after college, I went back. And it was still the the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was about to collapse. Mm-hmm. So I caught the tail end of the Soviet Union, and then it collapsed. And, uh, and a lot of things unfolded. And that's going to lead into a particular story, I think, that you're thinking of.
0: That's why I have my hand raised, because <laughs> when you know, I've had the opportunity to share my story in a lot of different places and with a lot of different groups of people and... Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a weird thing when people sort of make a big deal about like your life. And I enjoy telling that story. I enjoy talking to youth about the process I went through, um, you know, sort of spiritually um, that started when I was a youth and and all that. And I'm happy to tell that story. And I've sort of because of the feedback I've gotten, just accepted the fact that, uh, okay, I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting story, you know, sort of some adventures along the way and that sort of thing. And then I heard your story. And it just completely knocked me down off of my, you know, ivory tower, throne ladder, whichever, however you want to visualize it. But I thought, man, I'm just not even in the same ballpark. So I'm really excited that Ashley and anybody else who listens are going to hit, because it's just one of the most crazy, amazing stories of just being there, like all these things were happening and you were just you were there because you were there Um, one of the things I love that Ashley says often is, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. It's not always about Mm -hmm. what we're doing and we want to go do stuff. But the most important thing sometimes is just the being. And just by being there, you wind up being in the midst of some really incredible events. Mm. So now you can tell that story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm so
2: ready. Wow. Well, uh, I'll do my best. You know, it, it was, it was um, as you said, uh, being present really led to some amazing things and, and being all in. And then it sort of falls into kind of a gump category, right, of just things starting to happen and, and you just hold on. Right. So, yeah. so I was in Estonia and, um, the, uh, vice mayor of Tallinn, the capital city, um, got to know him and, uh, he was doing some different things with special Olympics and things like that. They were sort of just starting special Olympics really. And he'd been involved and, and, uh, I knew some people involved. And so, um, we got to know each other, and, and he was prone to sending me to, to do things for the city of Tallinn, you know, if, if something mm-hmm. – because it was it was real early in the collapse of the Soviet Union, and so people are showing up, saying they want to help from different countries, and uh, and he would ask me to go out and kind of meet with them and talk with them, just find out who they were. And basically I was kind of screening to see, you know – uh, um and just report back to him, so uh who this group was and what their intentions were if they were if they were had good intentions or not or whatever you know anyway, just try to help them with mm-hmm. that so i wasn't even thinking that when I went to his office one day and i'm in my early twenties and uh and he goes um he threw you know this envelope across the table and I opened it and um It was this letter, this elaborate letter from the Vatican, you know, come to the Vatican and Tallinn. we want you to connect, you know, this will be our Estonian representative or whatever. And I'm reading it and I said, okay, so you're going to be out of town. So what you want me to do, you know, basically, and he goes, no, I, I, you're going to go. And I said, well, I don't know about that. And he said, yes, no, we'll find a way. God will find a way, you know, you're a believer. He said, I'm, I'm, I, I want to be a believer. Uh, but, uh, but you are, so I know you believe that this can happen. And so, so he was preaching back As to the And I said, okay, uh, I don't know how it's going to happen, but here we go. So one thing led to another, God opened doors and I'm in Rome at the Vatican and I, I walk in and, uh, they have this elaborate name tag that says, you know, uh, Father Friday Estonia and all this. I'm I'm not a pastor. I, I didn't. I, so I'm looking at this, and it's very ornate. And there is a a nun there, Italian nun, and she's presenting them to everybody walking in the delegates. And so I'm trying to tell her that that's. Can you change it? Can you just put Patrick Friday? Can you put America? I'm not. I'm not a because it looked like I was Estonian and all that. I mean, I was represent anyway. So it was. It was, uh, and she was not happy. Uh, these were very ornate, elaborate things, and and she was giving it back to me uh, with her hand. And nah, so I said, eventually, <laughs> she was she was really getting upset. And I said, okay, so it's okay. I'll I'll I'll, I'll wear it. So I put it on, and I'm walking in, and uh, people are coming up to me. Oh, father, you know, would you bless me and things like that. I'm like, no, no, I, I mm. I'm a I'm, I'm not a pastor, and and there's always from Estonia. So I said, "Well, I'm from, I'm actually I'm from Alabama," and it, was, it just wasn't <laughs> it wasn't working. And I knew that my job was to be there and represent Estonia. So so anyway, we go through the motions, and and then finally, um, I'm finding that on occasion I I did have to say, oh, "Yes, I'm praying for you," you know, and yes, I'm I'm i am i did not get into as much detail as I did before. And so anyway, there I was um, uh, standing up there and we had the the delegations from the different countries and I got to uh, meet the Pope and share about Estonia. And uh, I remember that the, the somebody said, well, um, tell me about the, uh, I said, you know, it's, it's an amazing country and so forth. And they said, well, um, you speak English so well and and I thought, well, I don't know that I can go back down that road again. I said, well, you know, we have a great education system. I, I just didn't, I mean, I was just totally uh, caught up in the moment. Now, here's the good news. The, um, the goal, the reason I was sent there was to come back and help with the connection, um, the religious connection, but also um, accessibility laws. This was a, it was a big event about how to help uh, was began Special Olympics and helping uh, those with uh, special needs, and the Soviet Union didn't have that uh, that tradition, I guess, or that 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 mm-hmm. legal code, and so it became very specific around how to connect and help with that. So ultimately, it all turned out really well. But I again, back to the Gump thing. I just what in the <laughs> world, and uh, and God used that. In, in, in a powerful way. And I was very, very fortunate to be a part of that.
0: I just think the fact that you were part of, of uh, the birth of a nation <laughs> and not only that, but were their representative for this, you know, official visit to, to the Vatican is just, you're, I hadn't thought about it in Gump terms, but it's, it, that totally could have been act three of that movie. Um, how many people <laughs> how many people from the town you grew up in have you know had an audience with the Pope as the representative of uh, you know a, a foreign country? I wonder It well, can't be many
2: yeah uh, and still as I tell that story it just seems you know like a, yeah. like a, a dream of some was- sort but but it was. Um, I have a picture on the wall I glance at every now and then to say, okay, that really happened. God, God really did that. And so, um, that's just, that's just fun, isn't it? As you go along Mm -hmm. uh, for moments like that. Um, there was another moment, uh, not too long after that for the, um, the the church there in Tallinn. Um, I guess you'd call it first United Methodist church, but it, it wasn't called it was just called Tallinn Methodist church. But, um, uh I was working with them, and, and since I was there on the ground, living there, and uh, kind of helping pull together some some different pieces as they wanted to rebuild their church and have a seminary and a soup kitchen and a publishing house and a dormitory and just kind of this big mission complex. And so I got to serve as a project director for that on the front end and uh, and kind of put some pieces together, and and it ended up being that I went to Korea with the, uh, the, the two uh, key leaders at the time of the congregation, Olaf Pernamitz and uh, Thomas so amazing saintly leaders. Oh my goodness. So they were mentors to me, and I was just uh, kind of giving them a, a perspective on how we would do a building project in America. You know, I mean, what little I knew about it. It was just kind of Again, Gumpish, uh, let's, let's uh, pull you in. So we end up in, in Seoul, Korea, at the world's largest Methodist church with uh, Bishop Sundo Kim. And uh, they, they had to uh, get back to Estonia early. And so Bishop Kim said, um, first of all, that week, they gave the largest gift I believe they'd ever given at that time uh, to a mission project, a million dollars to our project. Wow, and uh, this was before they did the chapel at Africa University, okay. uh, so we're on the receiving end of that amazing generous generosity. And uh, anyway, so it's time for. Um, oh, and there was one little bit there where they said they looked at me. I think in particular, uh, and uh, because my my clothing was not really very impressive, uh, pretty ragged. So um, I remember I wasn't. As a missionary, some there there are days when you don't have a lot to eat, so I was very, very thin, and I remember they brought in uh, this group to make new suits for us and uh, for for all of us in this delegation and the The guy came to me and he he was measuring me he said, "How I make a suit for a man with no waist oh. and so but they were beautiful handmaids so so generous all these yeah. things they were doing for us during that time and uh, and I was just this kind of struggling missionary trying to help out a little bit but then they then they made this amazing gift and so uh, uh, brother Olaf and brother Thomas had to go back and so he turned to me and said, would you share uh, a word of thanks on behalf of the delegation I said I'd be happy to but i I really hadn't figured out what all that would mean, but they had about at least five or six services, you know, of eight to 10,000 people each time. And so I just remember going up, going up the steps, looking out at this mass of people. (laughs) And, And, well, I was like, what in the world, you know, Lord, please give me a word. And so I'll never forget that Bishop Kim, or he was, he was, uh, Dr. Kim at the time, he leaned over and said, just say hallelujah. And so I said,
1: hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. And
2: and 10,000 people said, hallelujah. And it was just great. It just, uh, wow. <laughs> you know, oh my gosh. what in the world? God is good. So uh, that connection there, uh, what in the world am I doing there from Alabama in the middle of that? But mm-hmm. God put me there. So uh, I'm just grateful again to to. To look back on that, and uh, uh, it was special for sure. Yeah.
1: I was wondering if you started going around saying, "I'm Patrick, Patrick Friday." You're know, like, "Of course, <laughs> <Morris girl."
2: laughs> that's right. I should. Might as well." <laughs> oh goodness! But uh, yeah, and and I think, you know, as you go along, um, now fast forward a little bit. Further down the road, so um, at that point, I'm I've I've come back to Candler actually in the mid '90s, and, okay. and and then uh, then uh, the bishop uh, Bishop Fannin um, mm-hmm. asked me to go back and and represent our conference in Belarus with the Chernobyl uh, Chernobyl zone, wow, uh, because you know all the fallout, uh, not all. But a significant amount uh, went north from from uh, Ukraine, right there on the border. Um, so so we talk a lot about Chernobyl and Ukraine, but but really uh, it affected Belarus as much or even more in terms of fallout. Mm. And so this country, and of course we can talk about current politics too. It's pretty intense what's going on there and and what they've had to suffer through. But just imagine before all of this with the current war, um, they were dealing with Chernobyl and it had affected um, the whole population really. Um, But then those, those dead zone areas and all that. So, so Bishop Fannin uh, sent me over there because they were basically saying, uh, we want each conference to take an area of the former Soviet Union and focus on it. And so, so um, I was happy to go and um, and we start working with the children of Chernobyl. And and this led to um, bringing the kids to Alabama. Um, and I'll never forget, I, so I'd come out of seminary and now I was about to go back to uh, uh, former Soviet Union. And my wife, my future wife, I uh, was telling her about it and we, we got married. And so, um, I said, I'm, I can offer you a honeymoon in Chernobyl. And, so, <laughs> uh, that's where we were. We went over there and we picked up the kids and brought them back. And so, uh, you know, that's pretty dramatic when you, uh, when you've just gotten married and all of a sudden you're in charge of, I have forgotten how large that group was, but we had groups up to 75 kids. It was a lot of kids took over the oh plane, um, flying them. We had 250 kids over about a four or five year span of time, eight to 12 year old, beautiful, amazing kids uh, who had thyroid wow. issues and, and other things. And they were dealing with, and we brought them here and they stay with families and, and the families were amazing who hosted them. Oh my goodness. So many people just, uh, pitching in and giving her their time and the kids are, are telling them, you know, um, America's amazing. We've never been able to eat bananas or, you know, just, just have the basic things in life. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them, remote villages hadn't been around even running water. They had wells and things like that and it was all contaminated. And so just to be in an environment where they could freely drink water and eat and go to the doctor mm-hmm. and, and build up their immune system and things like that. So, um, yeah, again, that was one of those experiences having those kids packed in that plane, taking over the plane and, uh, and flying them over here. And wow, only God can do that. You know, I mean, on the front end, I remember thinking, how are we going to pay for this? And what are we going to, you know, what are we going to do with these kids and all this? And, and God just worked it out. So, um, I, I was I was excited recently to uh, to share some of that story because it was the uh, roughly the 20th anniversary since mm-hmm. uh, since that ministry had occurred and and, and those kids are now uh, adults with their own kids and uh, several of them were involved in uh, the independence movement that happened uh, just before uh, COVID hit or maybe well, it was before the war, but, um, yeah. right in there, they were out marching and demonstrating in their country because, uh, Belarus yeah. has, um, it's in the, in the news, they say it's the last dictatorship of Europe and has been mm-hmm. since the nineties. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's exciting to see those, uh, young people. And I think we, uh, we were a part of their journey. I know we were, they've told yeah. me that. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah.
0: So, was that when you transitioned back into? Did you come back to the general board, or did you come back into a local church? Which happened first?
2: Actually, that transition. Um, I came back, and I was I was on uh, conference staff, North uh-huh. Alabama Conference staff, as a uh, mission and advocacy director, mm-hmm. and um, and those were those were fascinating years. Um, Of course, you know, at that level, you're, you're working a lot with VIM teams. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and um, so I like that. I I mean, that's on that side of the equation, you're thinking in terms of, okay, how can I help prepare teams for situations um, that are totally unimaginable? I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, I like to prepare both sides. That's a luxury when you're a missionary. You can kind of mm-hmm. and you've done some of that, uh, going back and forth. You talk to the receiving group and sending group and so forth. But mm-hmm. um, but in this case, it was it was more about the training. So I got to do a lot of training and prep with the teams. And, and people walk into my office. You know, God's called me to be a missionary, and and I'd love to talk with them. Um, Remember one couple. Go ahead.
1: I was just no, no. I was going to ask. Can you remember what maybe one or two of the principles that you taught were the most effective mm-hmm. to the teams that were going to be traveling? Well,
2: uh, I remember one of the teams. Oh, we were we were going along. Actually, I went with the team, and they were. Uh, I don't know what I was rambling on about, but they go, ah, oh, it's just Patrick's flap. And Cause I quizzed them. I said, what are you saying? You're murmuring back there. You know, the murmurings from the team on the yeah. back row and up, up in the front with the microphone or what are we on a tour bus, whatever it was. And they were kind of back there, you know, uh, having fun. And they said, ah, oh, it's just your flap. And I said, what, what is my flap? And they they said, you always talk about flexibility, listening ability, mm-hmm. adaptability, and patience. <laughs> so clearly, uh, for that to be prominent, I, I guess I did. I guess I did talk about those things all the yeah. time, and I I, um, I still agree with that. I think you mm-hmm. you know you you want to be flexible and not um, come in with a pre-made um, plan, you know, because it's got to be the local plan that you're plugging into, and that's where the adaptability then plugs in as well. Um, and then you want to um, be patient, you know, uh, and, and this listening ability uh, as well, you know, in, in your in your patience, you really... And that's not... As doers, we come in so... Uh, excited, you know, and ready to do. And, um, this, this makes me think of something I've discovered about, um, the Appalachian service project, ASP, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. I was, I was in, um, I believe it was Minnesota later on now, later on, I'm doing training. So now things have shifted for me to a lot of training and equipping, equipping, I would call it. Um, equipping workshops, and I remember I was there, and we were talking about what do you do the first day you're in a mission setting, and somebody said, well, you know, um, I, I, they need to have something for me to do at eight o'clock because um, I'm giving up my vacation, and these are, these are billable hours. That was the phrase. Oh, these are billable gosh. hours that I'm giving up to oh. go serve.
0: Which is exactly how Jesus approached everything in his life, right?
2: Well it, it wasn't it wasn't said though with any uh, uh, ill will or something. It was just it was just matter of fact, right? I've it's right? my vacation, I'm busy, I've taken time out of my life, these are quote, billable hours, and so forth. So and his point was, so when I'm on the ground, they need to, you know, have me doing something, right? And he said, it drives me crazy when I go to Appalachia and they have Mosey Monday. And I said, Mosey Monday? What is Mosey Monday? And he goes, well, they won't let you do anything. They take away your toolkit. They take away your medical bag. They take away all those things that you brought, right, to use your hammer. If I had a hammer, right, they take your hammer away and they make you sit on the front porch and talk to these people, and get to know Ugh. their names. It just sounds horrible. Horrible. So so it was just, but it was so honest. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. you know what I'm saying? There was yeah. something about that where indeed, yes, I'm thinking, wow, that is brilliant, of course. And they take away your camera. They won't let you take pictures. I mean, they take it all away. They just want you to sit there, look at this person, you know, and see God in this person. See Christ right there. And so... What I find to be interesting with most groups is once you have walked through c- scenarios a little bit mm-hmm. and they've told you, look, you know, we didn't have enough time to build or finish our project or whatever, and then you kind of get beyond that and you say, well, why did you go? What What do you remember? Oh, I remember the people. I remember the laughter. I remember, well, right. you, you got to make time for that. You got to be flexible and open yeah. about that. And I... I I, I always look forward to those moments where God, and this is for all of us, we get caught up in our agenda, mm-hmm. and and God puts a child or or a, whoever it is, you know, uh, yeah. the person there you you've come to serve, suddenly you realize I'm I'm here for them. It's mm-hmm. not about me, you know, it's about them. So um,
0: yeah, it's it, been a wonderful I, thing on an episode that came out a few weeks ago, one of the things I talked about is the difference in the, our actions defining our relationships and mm-hmm. our relationships defining our actions. And and if we can get that part right, where it starts with the relationship and then the things that happen after that, they're going to look and feel and be different than they would have been if we had started with, they may be the very same things, but mm-hmm. it's, they've, They're different because it's the relationship. It's because we sat on the porch with that person for a whole day Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. we started swinging hammers that now, whatever it is that we do with the hammers is going to mean something different than if we had started with the hammers. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, uh, one of the things that I hope we can accomplish with this podcast is getting people to start to think that way before they go that this can mm-hmm. be an accompaniment to the kinds of training that their churches do or that um, them does or, you know, whoever. Um, but that we can be a, a part of that conversation so that people aren't frustrated by Mosey Mondays. That's the expectation. It may be the highlight like they, you know, not because of laziness, but just because they get it that that day where they just sat on the front porch and talked That was what it was all about, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all of us bring different gifts to the table. And I'm thinking about how unique your journey into local church ministry, or let me say that again. I'm thinking about how unique your journey into um, being a pastor of a local church was, you yeah, that's not typical, right? I mean, of all the people that I graduated with from uh, seminary, I don't know of any of them that followed the same sort of path that you did. And I don't mean like nation building and visits with the Pope, but but you know what I mean. And so <laughs> it makes me think about just the unique experience and skills and perspective that you bring into the local church. And what I'm curious about, first of all, is just how aware are you of that? You know, when you're writing sermons, when you're teaching Sunday school, when you're doing counseling, how much does those years that you spent in Europe, um, the experience that you had in korea how much does that come into your your thought process that you're aware of it also makes me wonder if if ashley and i just showed up at your church one day and started asking people tell us about your pastor
2: mm-hmm.
0: how many of them in their description of you would include well, I mean, he spent, you know, years in the mission field in these amazing places and da 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 and now he's here with us, da-da-da. like how evident are those gifts that because of this conversation, those things that we clearly, you're going to be bringing to the table because they're part of you. But I wonder how aware are you of that and how aware is, do you feel like your local church is of that? And yeah, Ashley.
1: Well, I was literally going to ask the same question because you know that I've been trying to cultivate my curiosity. And my question, how I was going to frame it was, (laughs) other than having the best sermon illustrations ever, how does all of this experience translate from the mission field to a mission advocate to now being the senior pastor of a local church? How does this all translate? So good job, Will. Hmm.
0: Good job, Ashley. (laughs)
1: Well, it's a great question,
2: uh, because uh, uh, I believe that we're part of a priesthood of believers, you know, and everybody's a missionary. And uh, I love that sign, you know, when you're leaving a church out of the parking lot, it says, you know, you're now entering the mission field. So, wow, all that just resonates with me and you all, I know. Um, And I think it just permeates how you engage people. I really do. I think um, my my church, my congregation here, is just so amazing. They're very patient with me when I start telling these stories. Probably tell them too much, but uh, I, I think you know. In some cases, it it means that when you look at the Bible, when you're reading a passage. Um, I know when when I'm talking about the Middle East and Jerusalem and so forth I I think about being there and I think about the smells and the and the and the even the fear I had one time when I was there and I um, longer story but the point is I ended up on the other side from kind of the Jewish side to the Palestinian side and I was taking some pictures and and uh and things were falling out of the window onto me, and I thought that's odd. Why are these things hitting me? And then I realized they were throwing things at me, and so I, I went, I ran back to the other side, and there were two Jewish uh, soldiers, uh, and they and they said, "You're glad you're back, aren't you?" And so um, I, I, I just think, you know, when we see. Um, Situations in the Bible where there's tension, there's strife, people are um, combative, and uh, and you have the Christian community, uh, followers of Christ being persecuted and suffering. I, those all those things come to life for me, uh, um, and I'm, I'm grateful for those experiences. Talking to the the mar- the great martyrs of the faith back to Estonia. Um, seeing, um, pictures on the wall of their superintendents, uh, black and white pictures. Mm. And, uh, um, Alexander Coombe was one of them. I remember, and it's this faded black and white picture. There were several others, but they were persecuted. And ultimately, uh, some of them were killed as enemies of the state because mm. they preached eternal mm. life. And the communist government said, you know, they're frauds, they're, they're, um, they're charlatans. And that was a justification for taking these amazing saintly men of faith and women of faith, putting them in prison, sending them to the Siberia, to the Gulag and those type things. And that's so it's hard for us to fathom that in our experience here in the U S suffering. I remember another, time. And and indeed, when I talked to them about it, they'd say, well, uh, those same pastors, the ones who survived and who were in the gulags for 5, 10, 20 years, and finally were released and allowed to come back to Estonia. I remember this 11 time zone. So they're put way over there, you know, going towards Alaska, right? And then they're allowed to come all the way back to Europe. And um, anyway, the point is they would say, what are you? Do you hate Russians? You know, and they mm-hmm. would say, No, we don't, we don't hate Russians. Um, at the foot of the cross, all the hatred dies. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Uh, and they'd say, Did you, did you know, you were in the good, you were in prison, you were being persecuted, you almost died. Were you? I said, No, seminary was, I mean, the, the Gulag was the best seminary in the world. And they would talk yeah. about, um, Writing scripture and prayers with their fingernail in the wooden bunks that they had oh to stay gosh. in, so they could. And, and so you're just your your concept of of suffering and and, and uh, in Corinthians, you know, you there's so many passages around suffering and and um, and we carry that around with us. And 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 now I'm fast forwarding to a conversation with the uh, Metropolitan. Of Belarus for the Orthodox Church, and uh, our conference had given some coats. We had about, I don't know, twenty thousand coats that we brought over in containers. Unfortunately, our coats are not what they typically use. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a windbreaker, you know. That would bring in. I over. knew
1: that after a yeah. February in Russia. Yes, you, you got it. So,
2: <laughs> so it's very gracious. I'm basically bringing over what we thought were coats, but they're kind of windbreakers for July for them, you know. But anyway, so he he said, we're just so grateful for your help and we need your help. And people couldn't find food at that time. It was a very difficult situation. But he said this, he said, it's okay because Christians must suffer if we want to really connect with Christ. If we, I mean, that's because Christ suffered for us. And so it's not a message, back to your original question, that we'd preach about here normally, right? It's great to suffer. That's just not something you hear from the pulpit in the mm-hmm. U.S. a lot. Mm-hmm. But around the world, you're going to see persecuted, suffering Christians. Um, and they, they, are, they are the most mobilized, passionate, dynamic Christians on earth. Mm-hmm. And so for us, that's hard to understand. And yet, uh, when you've experienced that, it really helps you to relate better to, to what the Bible's saying and, and share that with your congregation.
0: Um, thank you. Ugo has just called me, our builder has just called me three times in a row, which makes me think something's going on with the group that's here oh, yeah. working. So I'm going to step out for a second, but what I, what I want to hear about, maybe we can sort of wrap kind of tie things up with this is having had the experience you've had as a missionary and now being the leader of a local church, what are your hopes, and this is kind of an awkward, maybe it's better for me to step out and let Ashley ask this question, sort of what are your hopes for how your church understands partnership with missionaries, what that's supposed to look and feel and be like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to step out. I need to call and just make sure everything's okay. Um, if there's something else you want to talk about, go for it. Otherwise, um, that I mean, you can go ahead and start talking and I'll just jump back in when
2: I can. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Ashley, Sounds would you good. add to that any
1: direction? Oh, no, that's a great question. I I because having been both a missionary, having been a senior pastor, you have that mm-hmm. unique ability to see both sides. So how is it that you have reframed the mission conversation for your church and how to be in partnership and how to live life, how to be companions with those in your Judea, in your Birmingham, and mm-hmm. in the, to the ends of the earth uh, throughout the world? So how is it that you've reframed local and global mission in your church?
2: Well, I'm a big believer that uh, you know the local and the global go together. It's kind of a glocal, mm-hmm. right approach, and so okay. um, if we um, if we're able to get people to Costa Rica, for example,
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: then then when they come back, we want them to apply that locally, right? Right. And 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 a lot of times. the life of a church you'll see people who do the international thing and they don't do local mission they just do international mission um, or they do local and they don't think about the global etc so I I really want people to see that that's that's one and the same when you when you have that skill set and you're working on it um, and it gets back to sustainability you know and capacity-building and and relational engagement, and seeing the the merit in that. So if if your church, and our church is is working with a ministry down in downtown Birmingham, and and you know kind of the classic soup kitchen thing. But but this ministry, the Church of the Reconciler, has shifted away from that, and now they're doing something very relational. And it's hard to get some churches to buy in because they're conditioned to going and and basically standing back, right? There's some separation, uh giving out food and and not a lot of engagement. And there's mm-hmm. I guess there's some co- comfort in that too, but once you get beyond that and go out and engage people, and of course street people, um that's a tough life. And uh they may not have been able to to you know, get a new set of clothes or or shower or bathe or whatever. I mean, you know, they're just, they're, they're they're surviving on the street. And so you want to meet them where they are Mm -hmm. versus them meeting you where you are. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I try to share with my congregation is that it's that kind of engagement. But let's, let's practice locally. Let's good, let's get good at it locally before we go global. You know, Mm -hmm. because you don't want to go global and, and, and then kind of cut your teeth on things. You really want to learn how to do that here where you can pour more time into it. It's all about investing in someone and, Mm -hmm. and pouring time, uh, into their life. And it's messy. I, I, my predecessor, Clint Rabb, uh, named one of my kids after Clint. He was, uh, uh, well, we lost him um, there in Haiti when the, um, oh, the earthquake. earthquake occurred. Yeah. Clint mm-hmm. Rabb and Sam Dixon, my mentors, uh, named mm-hmm. my other son after Sam, Sam and Clint. Wow. Uh, amazing church leaders and, mm-hmm. uh, and saintly people. But Clint would say that when he got to gold Ministries, uh, Bob Harmon, who was there at the time, back in the 90s, said, well, Mission is messy. Can you help bring some structure to that? Because it's just so messy. And, I, and I, that's another thing I would say to my church is that, uh, and I do, it's, it's, it's unpredictable. It's messy. You've know, you you've got to um, be open to the fact that it's not going to be what you think it is. And, and um, it's just the opposite. It needs to be what the local people need, what they're, envisioning what God's put on their heart, and we're there to accompany them. So accompaniment is hard to do Mm -hmm. when you come in with resources and expectations. Maybe there's been a pattern for generations. I saw that in Africa. You know, the the pattern was set generations ago of Mm -hmm. what um, your American partner does or doesn't do. And so... um, it was highly on you I would always ask them okay so how often back to mosey Monday does an American group show up and just spend the day listening to you of course they would laugh uh, because that doesn't happen they they would show up and the Americans would say here this is what we're gonna do and this is we got money for this and they'd say yes um, and it's just the opposite you just got to think uh, differently so I, I try to tell stories like that and and, and help people think in those terms. Uh, um, Towards the latter years there at Globe Ministries, for me, um, it was all about talking about a kind of a rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. Uh, I called it 50-50. And just think in terms of how can you have a 50-50 relationship with your partner. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was fudging a little bit, it should be 51-49 which is the local people are 51 and if you think about that they get the final vote they get the final say but if you can start 51 49 then you can build in that uh, capacity building Mm -hmm. where eventually it's you know 70 30 80 20 and they take the project and run with it and you step back from it and it's and they're not dependent it's all about um dependency you don't want to create dependency you want to um, work yourself out of a job and all that so so if you can think in terms of I don't want to start with local people being dependent on us for anything mm-hmm. you know um, those are a few thoughts well on my mind
0: well I can't tell you what a relief it is to me to know uh, that the things that I will talk about, to the members of your church that you will be sending to us later this year will be reinforced for them they've already heard them from you in the pulpit and they will continue to be reinforced in the pulpit it's really difficult you know i mean you talk about how difficult it is for a pastor to have people you know in the sanctuary for one hour out of the week and to sort of make an impact well that's sort Mm -hmm. of a struggle for me i get them here for one week Out of the year, and if that's the only week that they're thinking about this stuff and talking about this stuff, that's just a big ask. So, for me to know that the church they're coming from, this is a big part of what is talked about regularly at church, and it's going to continue to be a big part when they get home from this. What is healthy? What are what is companionship? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, man, that just it changes the whole dynamic while they're here, and so I'm thankful. I'm so glad for them that you are there, and I'm glad for us, <laughs> selfishly, that you are there. And we're thankful to be partners with with both of your churches, um, Ashley and Patrick, and for the the way that you all understand and prepare people to go out into the world, to go out into the mission field, whether it's in Shreveport or Birmingham or Costa Rica or elsewhere. Um, yeah, this has been fascinating. I'm so happy to have heard your story again and to know that most of how I remembered it was pretty accurate because I started to worry that I might have sort of rep- misrepresented you <laughs> in some ways, but I think I got it pretty much, I got it pretty right. So, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I'm just so grateful for both of you and what you do. I know the the challenge of being the mission pastor, you know, at a church and, mm-hmm. and leading that, a larger church. Um, And then, of course, you're connecting back with Will and and someone on the ground, a missionary on the ground, the day-to-day of being a missionary on the ground, and then trying to receive groups. And you receive a lot of groups. So my prayer uh, continues to be for you and the Baileys, your whole family, you know, as you uh, um, navigate that. That's a lot to handle. I mean, we're... um, when we come to see you, I know that you know we just need a lot of tender care, and you uh, and you do that, and and uh, and you're an excellent preacher. My, my people are like I want him; they want you to come back and preach again. You did a great job. I would. Last I would time, be happy so. to.
0: Thank you. Tender, tender care, I think, are probably the first two things that come to people's mind when they think about Will Bailey. Tender yep, care. Yep, that's
1: exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's you. That's what you I do the preaching. Yolanda does the tender care.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you both. I'm I'm just honored to be, be on this uh, podcast with you today.
1: Yeah. Patrick, you've given me so much to think about. Um, I've been making mental notes about uh, just different. Um, you talked about communion at the very beginning, and I've been thinking mm-hmm. ever since then about how we could put Will and his congregation, or or, or our Russian congregation, up on the screen and do communion together during a worship service. I know the time yeah, difference absolutely. might be a, might be a little tricky, but my goodness, that would just be so much fun! So much fun! Please, but, uh,
2: please let me know because uh, right. I'll be praying for you and I'd love to see it if you, if you put it out there. I mean, it's, uh, we, had, we had services of, you know, every continent connected doing communion. And uh, I remember in uh, a conference, maybe it was uh, in Ohio, but anyway, I was there and um, it was with, let's see, Cambodia, I believe, and maybe Vietnam, but I guess primarily Vietnam. And so we're going around Vietnam to all the little churches in Vietnam. That's a tough place to start the church. And, uh, but they were so excited to connect to the larger church. Because you can just imagine, you're so isolated and you want to connect. And so for our partners, for them to connect to the larger church, and it's a great equalizer, right? You're, you know, you're all at the same level, and the body of Christ. That's the the table. That's, That's, it. The table. That's the table. There you go. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, I hadn't thought about that. But because we can sort of talk about the table and and the fact that we've all been invited to it almost sort of flippantly. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but to be able to say to someone who first of all never knew there was a table, and right. and now they found out mm-hmm. there's a table and that they've been invited to it, and that they've been invited to it as you know, on equal terms as every single other person who's going to be at that table. I mean, how could they not be excited about that? Mm -hmm. That's amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, again, thank you, Patrick. It's been so nice to meet you. I'm so glad that we have so many things in common and I can't wait to come to Birmingham and meet you in person and, (laughs) and visit with you.
2: I'm counting on it. All right. Bless you both. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. Bye.
1: You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.